Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Greg DeVries, pastor at the Well Scottsboro, and I'm grateful that you've decided to listen to this podcast. I hope that this word uplifts you and encourages you wherever you are. Stay with me for a few moments after the sermon. I would like to pray with you. I trust you'll be blessed by the word of God. Say this with me, would you? This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can be who it says I can be. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to be. It was written for me, for my correction, for my direction, and my soon coming resurrection. Oh, Lord, be it unto me according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's an interesting thing on Palm Sunday. I thought about it some years ago, and I thought, wow, we have, we have palms, right? And, and we can wave our palms to the Lord and, and praise him. And, and I've thought about that for years and never really did a deep study into it. It sounded a little bit juvenile maybe, but uh, I, I looked it up before I came out here this morning. And I was on my phone and I looked up on my phone. And I said, Sloan, look, it's back in, in 1610, you know, the palm is really not a body part. It's a location on your body, but it's not a body part. It's, it's part of your, your hand is there, but that's just the, the, the location of your hand, the side of your hand right there. And so it wasn't literally named years ago, but it came out of the conclusion that it was likened to a palm frond branch. And those little branches go out with fingers too. And Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. So I think his branches deserve a good wave to him, don't you? And every Sunday can be Palm Sunday when you take them. And we'll talk more about what the palm meant in that time. We'll touch on some things. But I'm hoping for you to listen to the word this morning and find out what might be able to be applied in your life out of this story, recognizing and and going into reference to when Jesus started his entry to his his triumphal entry and pushing into and coming into the point that we lead into this week where he was crucified, where he was buried, and where he rose from the dead. This all precedes it. This is how he positioned that. And we know something in the kingdom that literally kingdom principle is there must be death to precede anything that's going to have life right? And and so we see the path that Jesus took. It might be the mindset that we can take to get to the path that he wants us at, because perhaps there's things in our life that might need to die or things we might need to die to so that we can live and live a resurrected life with him. Amen. Father, I ask that as we go into your word this morning, that you would uh, anoint my lips, Lord God, and loose my tongue, Lord God. Let it be like the the pen of a ready writer, Lord, and let it write the word of God out clearly and specifically, Lord. Father, I pray that there be an anointing. I pray that there be a gift to communicate it, and our ears would be anointed to receive the word of God, and our hearts, our gates, our doors of our life would be open to receive your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. This account is in three of the gospels, the only one that does and have the account of the, of the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday uh, would have been the book of Mark there. But I want to interrupt this sermon for just a moment. I hope this doesn't surprise you, catch you off guard, especially while you're driving down the road. But that is an inaccurate statement that was just made. And looking back over, uh, there is actually an account in all four of the Gospels, according to the story here. And so it's inaccurate to say there's only in three of the Gospels. And that was just a lack of uh, spiritual discipline uh, while preaching. And I wanted to make sure that you're aware of that, that it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I hope you enjoy the rest of the sermon. 
there, but it's not just in the New Testament. There's actually prophecies out of the Old Testament that speak into this present situation, which is always so important because that is something that has to be accomplished. It's something that absolutely gives verification uh, to uh, the likeness of Jesus Christ and who he really is when there's scripture and prophecy being fulfilled from the Old Testament. I'm here to tell you that things that have happened in the New Testament are prophetic of what can happen in your life, and that's why it's so important because Jesus showed us that he was a life of fulfillment. And if you have the Messiah living inside of you, the word of God can be fulfilled in you and the word of God can be fulfilled through you also. That's something we need to learn to grasp and lay hold of is that we are all part of this body of Christ. We are all needful and we are ministers of the word of God. We're ministers of the grace of God. We're ministers of his love. We're ministers of his joy. We're ministers of his peace. You and I, you are being prepared to be ministers of the word of God, amen? It's not just stage people, it's his people, amen? In verse one of chapter 21, it says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they're getting closer to where he needs to be, to be, to be judged, to be indicted, to be uh, 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 put before the people there. He's getting ready to uh, take on the sins of the world. They're getting near. There's something that happens. Don't think that you're going to be ready just when the moment comes. There's preparation to get to those moments, right? And so Jesus is getting near. He's getting close to Jerusalem. They came to Bethagee. And when they came to this city, Bethlehem, they came there because it had a meaning to it. Jesus always found himself in places that had meaning. He was trying to say something in everything he did. Have you ever known those people that they do something and you know what they mean by doing it? They didn't say a word, but they did it and you knew what they meant. Jesus would be in the right place at the right time. And, and this little city here is close to, to Bethany there. It, it's, it's close to where he's going to return. He's starting. He's actually realizing to us and showing us that he's starting a cycle that is going to be finished. He's coming back to where he started. He's coming back. He's going back to where he started, but he's also coming back to where he started this thing with us. He's coming to conclude something. And, and this city, it's, it's an interesting understanding of this city. It is recognized as the house of his month. That's literally what one of the definitions is. The other one is the house of not ripe figs. Figs that are not yet ripe. In other words, they're, they're almost there, but they're not there yet. He's getting near, but it's not yet time to pick it off the tree. It's not yet time. Matter of fact, when a fruit comes off the vine... It's literally dead to the tree, but it's alive to the receiver. And so he's saying, I'm going to start here at the house of not yet ripe figs. And when a fig becomes ripe, it becomes sweet. Its juices start to flow, and it also softens. At this moment, he's nothing but green. He's nothing but strong. It's taken all this strength and all this ability. It's kind of like the point of the cross, the cross was very green when he carried it. It was very hard. It was very heavy. It wasn't yet fully, it hadn't been drenched in blood yet. It hadn't been drenched in the life of Christ yet. It had not yet fulfilled his purpose yet. And so he's in this moment saying, we're getting ready to start. So it's not just Sunday. It's not just Friday. It starts today. It starts today, the procedure and the process that Jesus took. So an unfreak, it's hard and not yet softened. It's not yet sweet and not picked. It's not yet finished. I don't know about you, but the crucifixion gets sweeter and sweeter 
every time I look at it. Are you with me? And so he's starting at this point. Figs also have a spiritual symbol to a luxurious treat, symbolic of wisdom and success in great abundance. So he's also coming in and saying, hey, look, I'm getting ready to be a treat for you. What's getting ready to be terrible for me and hard for me is going to be really sweet and good for you. But he's also standing in that place saying, I've been successful. He's the only one that could. He's the only one that lived those 30 years sinless. He fulfilled all the law, all the prophets, and there he stood with a great abundance of success. I want to say this to you. I don't want you to think first carnally, and I want you to think first in a secular manner, but I want you to think according to Christ, and only through Christ can you really be successful. And you being a successful means you should be a successor. Uh, you should be fulfilling what God has called you to do, what he's gone before and prepared for you to do. I want you to ask yourself that question. It could be the biggest question you ask yet of your life. Am I who Christ made me to be? Am I who Christ died for? Is the life I'm living the one worth Christ dying for? We ought to ask ourselves those kind of questions. We ought to come very serious in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to say back to you what I started to say to you. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to be successful in your business, in your ministry, in your family, in your He wants you and I to be successful. A successful one of great abundance of success lives inside of us. Greater is he that is in us than all that stuff that is in this world. Amen. It is also figs were highly honored among the Greeks of that time and would bestow them upon winners of various competitions. Uh, they would use those figs. You, you've seen those wreaths before, and you've seen those branch kind of wreaths, and they, they would put figs in the midst of those in that day. In other words, they're saying, you're, you're victorious. You're triumphant. Not only did you win a race, you've won a bunch of competitions. I don't know about you, but I have found myself competing against Christ before. Oh, I know you haven't. But yes, I know you have. We all have a tendency in our own pride to try to do things in our own ability and our own achievements to try to prove who we are or to try to get the praise or try to get the honor or at least the recognition or at least a hand clap or at least a pat on the back. Come on, somebody. Every one of us have been there before. But then Christ came. And he started to win all those. Whenever he's the king in your heart and the king of your life and he silences your pride and you speak about him instead of yourself, instead of how good you are, how great you are, how blessed you are, when you start to honor and hosanna the Lord Jesus Christ and lift him high, he's the victorious one. You've laid a fig on the fig tree himself. You have crowned him with praise and crowned him with glory and crowned him with honor. He's worthy of all the praise, worthy of it all. Our success is only in him. So they were recognizing who he was and what he had done. They were thanking him for all they'd accomplished. In verse 2, saying to them, Jesus sent two of his disciples to another city, and this is what he said to them. He said, go into the village opposite you. So often we want to go to what is, what is pleasant to us, what is knowledgeable to us, uh, what, what we, we understand and what is familiar to us. We have a tendency to be people of habitual routines. Am I not correct? 
And, and we try to find the, the place that we're most accustomed to, or sometimes we adapt to the culture within. But Jesus said, go to the place opposite you. Sometimes he's going to ask you and instruct you to do something that is not usual to you to do. If you find yourself doing life the same way over and over and over again, just be careful that you haven't built religion. That you're not just living in custom and outside of divine relationship. He said to these two disciples, he said, you go to a city that is opposite you. I notice it's very interesting that he didn't name these two disciples, nor did the author of the book, nor in any of the three accounts, Luke neither nor John, recognize which two disciples it were. There's a very good possibility that these two disciples were not past fishermen, uh, they were not past tax collectors. Uh, they weren't people that we have some knowledge and understanding. They might have struggled with some issues in their life. They might have struggled with some things like I or you used to struggle with. Okay, they might have struggled with things like stealing. They might have struggled with things like uh, taking something that wasn't theirs or cheating or doing something wrong there. And Jesus says, hey, I want to work something out of you, and I want to give you and show you the freedom you've really found in me. And before I leave, I want you two to go to the city opposite you, the village opposite you. And what are they going to do there is very interesting. He said, go into the village opposite you. Immediately, you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. He said, when you go in there, there's going to be a donkey and there's going to be a colt. Uh, there's going to be an old one, and there's going to be a new one. Now, both uh, uh, Luke and John do not make mention uh, of the donkey as much as they do the colt, and they don't make mention of the two of them. But it goes on and says there's two of them. He said, that's what you guys are going to find. Well, that was very wise for him to send two people, very important for him to send two people, because there's going to be two to be let out of there. And a donkey is not easy to be led, and nor is a colt always easy to go with one that it's not familiar with. And so he sent the two of them. He said, you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them. Bring them. Loose them. Bring them. I want to say something to us this morning. How important it is as believers in Jesus Christ, especially following the Lord Jesus Christ, especially working where he wants us to work, living how he wants us to live, doing what he wants us to do, to carry anything that you have loosely and be willing to bring it all to him. When he wants it and when he needs it. Walk around loosely. Don't hold on to these things. You know as well as I know that you can't take anything with you. Right? You can't take anything with you. And to walk loosely with what he has. But also to have, we have the ability to unloose things, to loose things and to untie things and to, to bring things that are, that are bound and tied up. He said, go and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Let's talk about the donkey for a second. The donkey represents all things old. It represents everything he has done. He has fulfilled the law. Everything that he's done. The old covenant has been accomplished and fulfilled. He's lived a righteous life. The colt represents new, speaking not only of what he has done, but what he's going to do. 
So he wanted to write out what he had done, and he wanted to write in on what he's going to do. I want you to know that he's going to fulfill everything. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, old things have passed away. You're as victorious as he was. You're as accomplished as he was. You have the same success as he has. When Christ is in you, you become a victor. You become triumphant. I'm listening to me. I've dealt with enough of you. I've dealt with enough people in my life. They say they're saved, but they're still dealing with things from 20 years ago, the blood of Jesus annihilates it. It discriminates against him when you do not believe that you've been set free from your past. Your past is past. That donkey has been rode and he's getting on a new colt and he's getting ready to do something new in your life. Some of y'all don't want to shout. Some of y'all don't want to agree because some of y'all want to live right where you are as stubborn and rebellious as a donkey. It's time to dismount and get on the colt and live a new life. The cult speaks of all that he hasn't done yet. He said, there's going to be a cult there on which nobody has ever sat. He, he's looking to do something. He's looking to be enthroned in somebody's heart who he's never been enthroned before. He's looking for somebody to let him do the new and not just always doing the old and doing the same thing over and over and over again and wondering why you don't have a breakthrough. I'm not mad. I'm happy. I'm here to tell you. They said, cry out this morning. I'm crying out. I'm heralding the word of God. We've got to hear it deeper than we've ever heard it before. You don't have to deal with. You might deal with what I have to deal with, but you don't have to deal with it as many times as I have to deal with it. There are people bound and struggling in their past. It's over. He's triumphed. He is forgiven. He does not remember it. I listened to the song this morning, how far as the east is from the west, from one nail scan, heart-scarred hand to another. Friends, that's pretty big. He loves the whole world. I don't care what you did in this world, who you were in this world. I'm here to tell you, he has set you free. Your name is not as important as the name he put on you. You are now a Christian. You're a little Christ. You're anointed from on high. He has a purpose for you. He has a call on your life, and he wants you to walk in victory. He wants you to live in triumph. He wants you to be more than an overcomer and more than a conqueror. All right. I got that out of me. He said, go over there. Uh, A very interesting concept of the donkey. It's a symbol of sovereignty of the Messiah over a material world. All right, just stop right there, write your little note down, and say, I need some of that. I I, I, I was riding the donkey yesterday. I I was riding the colt yesterday. Around the house, they, they, they were talking about, let's go here and let's go there. We'll find something pink. We'll find something green. We'll find something blue. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. They're going shopping because next week's Easter. Bring the color on, right? I got up on my coat. I didn't go with them. I had victory over the material world. That might speak a little bit more truthful to someone else. It also represents a humble king of peace rather than a war-waging king on a horse. I'm all for, and I understand spiritual warfare. Everything is not a battle. Matter of fact, you need grace more than you need power. It was not by power were you saved. It was by grace are you saved through faith. 
We need grace in our life. He wrote, and, and humility produces grace. And you're saying, but I don't know that I need more grace. Yes, you do, because even what he's going to do in front of you must be done by his grace if it's going to be done right. You need grace in your life. Sometimes get off your high horse and get on your low donkey. Humble thyself under the mighty hand of God, and you will then be exalted in due time. It's symbolic of service, suffering, peace, and humility. If Jesus rode one, we ought to ride one. Amen. He came in on one when he was in his mommy's tummy. And he's going out on one as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you know that all donkeys, I know sometimes spiritual things and, 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 and uh, uh, allegorical things don't make sense to some people. All donkeys, all donkeys. Look at your neighbor and say, all donkeys. He's talking about them all. Have a cross on their back. How many of y'all knew that? The hairline running down the spine of a donkey, no matter how young, how old, has a line going right down, colored, and then one right about their, about their neck, their, 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 their shoulder area there going across is the shape of the cross. You study the dogwood tree. Go to, go, to, go to Israel with us next year and, and, and go to the garden tomb and see the tree right in the middle of the garden tomb, the only tree they know of anywhere that has one going straight up and two branches going out this way in the garden of Gethsemane. No prune, nobody pruned it, made it out that way on the bonsai cross. Signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. As a matter of fact, you might not know this about the donkey, and I'm getting off my preaching in a second. A donkey was the original town planner. Mm-hmm. We could have used some of, the, some of the cities I've been in. The donkey, they would let loose and would find the easiest path up the mountain to where it needed to go. So they followed it. Could use a few donkeys. Here's the big thing. It's fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, this riding on a donkey was prophesied back of Zechariah. He, he prophesied that he, that he would come on a donkey. And, and then it says, and on a colt. The two are both mentioned in the midst of that. So Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. It was important for him to do it as God said do it. Therefore, he can tell his disciples what to do and to do it as he said do it. If Jesus had not had instructions and commands from God of how to do things, he wouldn't have the authority to speak over you and I of what to tell us to do and how to do things. So he's fulfilling prophecy. I think it's as we sang this morning, his word, we want it to become a lamp unto our feet. Even Jesus had the lamp of God, had the eternal flame of God, showing him the way and the process and how to live out. And so he fulfilled that prophecy. In verse 4, and this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king. You and I are the daughter of the children of God. We're the bride of Christ. He said, Tell the children of God, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foil of a donkey. So he took on the old, the donkey, and then he moved over to the new, the colt. Friends, he's getting ready to do something new in our lives today. 
if we let him have his way. Amen? Jesus was mindful to fulfill the words of God. I want to encourage you as a believer, as a proclaimer of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to be mindful to fulfill the word of God. If Christ was, we ought to be. And back to those who were sent in their way over in Luke. I don't have the reference for you, but Luke 32 to 33. Those who were sent their way found it just as he said to them. He said, hey, you're going to go in and immediately you're going to find a donkey and a colt. And they found it just as he said to them. Watch this. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? Now, remember, I talked to you about two. I don't know. I don't know which two they were. But it didn't give us a description of them. Because it could be any two of us, and it could be all two of us, that he's going to give us some unique instructions, commands to do things. This is what I want to encourage you to have. It's keen ear to hear what he says. Have you ever had a child that you told them what to do, and they did it differently? Have you ever had a child you told them what to do, and they did some of it, but not all of it? And if you've ever had a child that did more than you asked them to do, please, I'd like to set a meeting with you and see how we could, I could turn the tables around and get a little counseling here. No. So these guys go, and he said, this is what you're going to find. This is how you're going to find it, and this is what you need to do it. And somebody says something to you, and everything happened just like you said. Isn't it amazing? We're serving a Jesus who lives inside of us, and we struggle with, the acuteness, the accuracy of his voice. And somehow we feel like we play into the picture. Well, what I think he meant was he didn't understand what it was going to be like. He didn't know. Come on, somebody. What I'm saying to you and introducing to you, Scripture that could support the desire to have a keen ear to the voice of the Lord, to trust him that as he said it, is what he meant. Come on. How many of y'all have ever had a child that when you found out they didn't do it the way you asked them to, they had some kind of excuse, some type of expectation? And you're going, no. No, no, no. You knew better. And the Lord's up there going. And he wants to do the whole, excuse me? Can we talk for a second? But he's not going to embarrass you in front of your children. So he doesn't pull you away. But you know as well as I know that if I were to say, don't drink out of the milk jug. I mean, I've ever heard that one before. And you're like, I didn't. You're like, well, how'd you get a white mustache? You're like, what, what, what are you talking about? But if I drink out of it, I can expect them to drink out of it. Right? That's why Gretchen doesn't buy chocolate milk. Because I don't drink white milk. We need to do as he said if we're going to find out he's true of what he said. A lot of our confusion and frustration with him is because of our application and misapplication of what he said. So we're frustrated with him. But if we will trust him and obey him, we'll see that it all work out the way he said it would be. But we need to have the desire to want to hear him closer. So when they got there, it was exactly like he said. And so they came to him, and they loosed the donkey in verse 7. And they brought the donkey and the colt 
and laid their clothes on them and set them on. Now, an interesting point here is that while they're untying the donkey and the colt, somebody did say, Jesus said, if somebody says something to you, this is what you need to say. Tell them the Lord has need of them. And lo and behold, they're untying the donkey. And certainly, somebody walked out. I picture a John Wayne kind of dude. You know, I picture just some really, you know, Clint Eastwood kind of cowboy kind of guy walking out there, but with a robe on. And he walks out there, and he goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? Now, it could have been the owner, and it was. So this is why I'm saying I think that these two guys had a checkered pass. They were probably the guys who used to steal. Probably the guys that used to cause mischief. Probably the guys that go out there and just do whatever they thought. And they're like, we, we can't, do this, this is stealing. But he said, do it. But oh, we can't do it. He said, he's the truth. He's right. And oh, my goodness. And, they're, oh, they're to, and then lo and behold, someone says, what are you doing? I'm like, ah, oh, busted. Oh, man, I'm sure they're going through every feeling and emotion you can think of. And so will you. And so will you. You can't do that. You can't do this. Who do you think you can do this? Right? Obedience isn't always fun. The three middle letters of the word obedience is D-I-E, which spells die. Sometimes you got to die to yourself to live for him. You can't keep living for yourself and think you're living for him. And so they're in this strange, awkward moment, and, and, and they had an answer because the Lord's already given them an answer. I think they're no-named because it could be your name and my name. And they said, the Lord has need of them. The guy's like, take them. Let's stop there for a second. Let's look at both sides of this. Could you imagine being Downey Thomas wondering if God could really use you. I'm sure we have a few that fall in that, that line in here, you know. But then the, to, to realize the Lord is saying, I need a donkey. You would have to somewhere stop and go, perhaps he needs me. I want you to know something. He needs you. He didn't create you for nothing. He created you for his glory. And last I checked, he's not receiving as much glory as he's worth. There's more people who disobey him than they obey him. He's not receiving the praise, the honor, the glory, the figs that he deserves. I want you to know something. He needs you. They need you. I was in the offices yesterday looking out that new window door, and I could see right into Alabaster. And I could see the young ones in there working. And then I could see the people who were going in there. And I thought, those people live in Scottsboro? And I'm just this way. I'm just this way. So I looked out in the parking lot to see what kind of license plates were out there. I thought for sure I was going to find some California, New Jersey license plate. Because them folk that were in there don't look like the folk that are in here. They might be lost. Might be confused. They might be being ruled by the world of materialism. They might be Jesusless. Hey, they may be sold out, born again, bona fide worshipers of Jesus Christ who don't go to this church. But you're reaching people I can't reach. 
I don't know them. I don't see them. They're not in my path. They are not on the route my donkey goes, but they're going to be on the route that my colt goes because I'm going to go new places and find new people and find new ways and find new outreaches and find new houses and find new neighbors. That's what we need to do. You're reaching people. We, we don't reach. So there he is. He, he's, he's unloosing them. He says, the Lord has need of them. It's like off the hook. Jesus has a way of getting us off the hook. If you don't believe me, look at the cross. Because you should have been on it, and I should have been on it. But somehow, he got you and I off the hook, and he got up there on himself. If you got the answer right. If you got the answer right. Not until you know the Lord has need of you. The Lord has need. You know one reason he has need of you? Because you're still part of his future glory. You're still part of his future reward. He endured the cross for the joy that was set in front of him. And he wants as many as he can brought to the Father and put before the Father into the glory of God and to the honor of God. And until you're off the cross of your sin, off the cross of your disobedience, off the cross of your wickedness, and off the cross and useful to him, he doesn't have you. Now, there's another little story that goes in this one. How about the guy? Who's going to talk about the guy that says, okay, take him? Who's he? Is is he he a cult owner? Is he a donkey trainer? I I don't know who the guy is. Is he a a fig farmer? We don't know. He's not named. But he obviously, somewhere in the day, this is my best figuration of it. Somewhere in the day, he heard this voice and said, the Lord has need of a donkey and a colt. And perhaps he read Zechariah that day. And he's looking at this like, hmm, king's coming to, all this stuff's not at all. Could be him. Could, hmm. And maybe he just got up that morning and said, you know what? I'm just going to tie him up. I'm feeling led. I don't know what it is. You, you know, the it, something told me. It felt like spirit it. Spirit, it. Come on. And he's, I'm just going to tie it up kind of loosely here. And I don't, I'll just sit over here and watch, you know, and just see if somebody, if the Lord comes in. Those guys look scared. Why are they looking? Oh. Hey, well, what are you guys doing? The Lord has. Most likely somewhere in his day, he may have thought the Lord himself was coming. Uh, But somewhere in the day, he knew the Lord had need of these two, the donkey and the colt. Could you imagine being that person? That's why I say carry it loosely. Carry it loosely. I don't care how you get in the Bible, just get in the Bible. I don't care if you're Simeon. You can say, hey, you, that thing looks heavy. Can I carry it for a while? He made it in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, the, the man, maybe his name didn't, but his donkeys did. His colt did. The Lord has need of it. I don't know what your car looks like, but I've never seen a good-looking donkey. I'll tell you that much. Maybe there are some. I haven't seen one. I'm telling you, the Lord has need of it. I've gotten back in, in, in the, the, the wonderful lifestyle of picking up hitchhikers. Why? Because the Lord has need of my truck. 
Lord has need of this rebellious, old or youthful donkey or colt. I don't know how to get this across to you. Could you imagine if all of us pulled our load? I'm sure, I'm sure y'all have come to this realization. It took me a long time because I was not mechanically minded until one day we were driving through an Amish community in New Bern, or Bern Indiana. And I said, Rrr. I said, Gretchen, turned around. And I, he's, he's literally sitting on a, on a chair, a wagon chair, and a little wagon thing on a lawnmower. And it's being pulled by a horse. And he's mowing his yard. That's one horsepower. <laughs> it is. And when they say it's 300 horsepower, it's the power of 300 horses. Some people are just going, biggest revelation I've ever had in church. I get it. It's okay. We've got you now. Could you imagine if it, us, what we could do if every one of us, young and old, pulled our weight? Can you imagine what we could move? You know what? I studied, I know this is weird, but I studied a little bit about donkeys. And they're not as stubborn as you think. The premier trainer of donkeys, this lady said, they're only stubborn when they know you're not serious. Mm. Woo! Let that one sink in you for a moment. But when the Lord knows you're serious, Lord, please, Lord, please. Like, you're not serious. You're in the moment right now. When you praise me at home like you just praise me here, things will happen. So in essence, that sense of spirit of rebellion that we may have as Christians is because we're not really serious. He said, what are you doing? I said, the Lord has need of them. I said, take them. He freely released them. And they, they brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on him and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So let's just talk about this for a moment. The branches represent victory peace, triumph, and eternal life. The clothes they took off most likely were not their undergarments. They were their exterior garments, which are actually known as cloaks. But a cloak in that day and that time, kind of like in the 20s, a fur mink might show your social status, and you could see uh, the type of coats that people wore of what type of social status they were of, whether a man's wool coat or whether something that was worn or something that was, you could tell that. Today, anything pretty much goes. But the reality is, not just social status, but authority. Because the more social status you had, the more authority that you carried so they were taking their authority and putting it on the donkey and laying it down or putting it out in the street because there wasn't room on the donkey for every step that he was going to take and saying, I'm laying down my authority by submitting to you. They were recognizing the honor of the authority of the sovereign one. They were unclothing themselves. 
It's kind of like when you go into praise and worship, you take off the garments of heaviness and put on the garments of praise. They were praising him. Even if only, now watch this, he's riding on a donkey and they throw their coats down and if even only it was the threads of a jacket, they raised him higher than the earth they lived on. I don't know how much my praise could raise him, but if I could get him that much higher, I'm doing my job. But if we could all put them out there and start to stack our clothes and stack our authority and stack our humility, we can lift Jesus higher. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And until we praise him like he's worthy of it, don't expect anything different than what you've already experienced. We need a louder praise. We need a longer praise. We need a surer praise. We need a more serious praise. Some of you don't want it, and there's churches to go to like that that don't want to praise them. That's up to you. But in this house, we're going to praise them. Because when you praise them, you raise them. And if you lift them high, you can expect those people that are just going to coffee shops or going to stores, they'll start coming to a church because they will see that he is high and lifted up. He will be exalted, and he will draw them where you cannot win them. It may be your son. It may be your daughter. It most likely is your neighbor. And until you raise them, don't expect him to pull them. He's looking for a church that is serious about praise. Him. They stripped themselves to be clothed with him. Three verses left. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out. I don't tell them what well, I don't tell them what, what verses to come up with to exhort and worship. But Pastor Wayland said they cried out in their distress. You may be saying, oh, I don't want to be a part of a loud church. I don't want to be a part of a, a, of a shouting church. Friends, you're in the wrong place. But I will tell you this. Stay here long enough and you'll become one because the ones, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Because the ones who are doing it now were just like you then. There was a day they didn't praise him. There was a day they didn't dance. There was a day they didn't shout. There was a day they didn't worship. There was a day they didn't pray. But when they started to, everything started to change in their life. They cried out, Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of David! Uh, uh, listen, they only somewhat have a linear view of this. They don't have a full understanding, but he's accepting what they're doing, even though they don't understand what they're doing. They're seeing him as a lineage of David. They're not seeing him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They're seeing him as an earthly redeemer, as an earthly king, as an earthly savior. But nevertheless, they needed that too. And they started to praise him. They started to fulfill the atmosphere. Their praise changed the atmosphere. They said, Hosanna. Hosanna has meaning. The word Hosanna expresses, oh, save. Oh, save your. Oh, some of you are so good. He's done so much for you. You have no idea or need a saviorship. You have no idea. You think that's all accomplished in your life until he turns your heart to the lost, until he turns your heart to those who have not been found. You have not yet encountered the fullness of what God has in his heart for you and for them. They said, Hosanna. It means to be open. It means to be wide or free. It means to be safe. It's an all avenging to defend. When they said, Hosanna, they're saying, defend me. And I'm here to tell you, friends, he did. 
You might not see it that way. When he went to the cross, he was standing in between you and every judgment that was determined on your life, every sin you ever committed and every sin you will commit. He's taken the beating of each and every one of them. He was defending you and me. He was standing in between the wrath of heaven and the filth of this earth. Don't let your religion of what you prayed some years ago ever let you forget what he has done for you. And every sin you'll ever commit, he was defending. That's what Hosanna means. When you say, Hosanna, you're saying, protect me, save me, rescue me. Give me a wide and open place. It's too tight. I'm feeling pressed. Break open. It means deliver, help, preserve, rescue, to be safe, to bring salvation, to get the victory. Oh, we have reason to shout Hosanna. Uh, listen, they, they were praising him for what he had done. They're praising him for success. Unbeknownst to him, to them, he was praising them beyond what they could even see. They could only see him going to the throne of Jerusalem. They thought that he was going to be seated there and people could sit on his right and sit on his left and be his cabinet. Friends, it doesn't matter who's president of the United States if Jesus isn't the Lord of your heart. It does not matter. It's only a temporal assignment. All they could see is him, him rescuing them from the tyrants of the, the tyrancy, the tyrancy of, uh, of the Roman, Roman soldiers. The gruesome life, the hardships, the heavy taxings, that's all they could see. And, and today, that's all some other people can see. But he's higher than that. He was going to the throne of heaven, not just the throne of Jerusalem. They were praising him, declaring him. Well, we need to learn to praise him for what he's done and praise him for what he's going to do. Yeah. Verse 10. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. When he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. And they said, who is this? Let me point something out here. Because of his praise, because of the parade, uh, because of the jubilant entrance, uh, the exaltations of him, the adoration of him. It, it said the whole city was moved. I don't know that that time being what the population of Jerusalem was, but most likely a little bit bigger than Scottsboro. Definitely bigger than, 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 than Guntersville or, 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 or Fort Payne or, or, or Skyline or Section or some of those smaller communities. But they all looked at Jerusalem. Last I checked where the county seat of this big county. It's a big county. You drive around, it's a big county. We called about our power outage the other day, and, and Gretchen said to the lady, she said, thank you so much. I know you're working very hard. It's a big county. But if Jesus showed up here, how did he show up? By the praise and obedience of others. And notice the scene the script writer, heaven itself, said, let's involve people. Let's get men and women on the scene here. Uh, let's let them take off their cloaks, cut off some branches. Friends, I grew up in Florida. Cutting a palm from branch is not easy, whether it's a low one or a high one. We've got special saws now and clippers now. They didn't. They didn't have what we had. There's probably a scratch or a cut on a hand or two. 
probably a thorn or a, a little splinter of some sort. It's not always going to be easy to praise him. We don't just praise him when things are going good and the music's just right. They came coming into the town. The whole city was moved. The whole city. I remember the delirious song years ago when the lead singer, Martin Smith, said, can, can God save a nation? I believe he can. I believe he does. I believe he can turn a whole city around. Who is this? Could you imagine if our worship got so, so uh, exalted of him that people would say, who are you praising? When you keep talking about him and he did this and he did that, you see, you don't have to be singing when you're praising him. You just need to raise his name off your lips. You just need to testify of him. And all of a sudden, somebody says, I'm sorry, man, but I'm, I'm a bit confused. Who's the third person in our conversation? Who's this person that you're, you're talking like you know him, and I don't know who he is, but there's something that tells me I need to know him. Who is that person? Oh, that's my Jesus. Look at somebody and say, oh, that's my Jesus. Oh, that's my king. Oh, that's my savior. That's the one who delivered me. That's the one who saved me. That's the one who filled me. That's the one who changed me. That's the one who died for me. It's my best friend. So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Multitudes, not one preacher, not one guest evangelist, not some radicals in the crowd that, that want to do more than what they're doing. Multitudes. Do you know my Jesus? Do you know him? Do you praise him? Do you raise him? Do you mention him in conversations? Does he come up in your daily life as you stand to your feet? In John chapter 12, he had an interesting account of this. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, so, so the religious people, John is kind of standing back. John wasn't the, the loudspeaker. He was a fast runner. He was a deep thinker. Uh, but John's kind of standing back, and he somehow finds himself here at Jerusalem in this huge crowd, the multitudes of believers, the multitudes of a city, a whole city that's being moved. Even the religious and the Romans are all there. I mean, it's just, it's just chaotic. And John finds himself, of all people, next to the Pharisees. So he gave us an account of what the Pharisees, the religious, the zealots for God, people who, who, who uh, were killing people thinking they're doing God's service. Those who are just keeping, taking care of the old donkey, but never recognize the foil of the cult. They said, you see that you're accomplishing nothing. He's talking to each other. You're accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Uh, you've got to read it from a different lens and angle to realize what's going on. It may look like nothing. It may look like nothing's happening. We sing that song. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working, right? 
And the world may say, look, nothing's happening. Where's your God now? Where's your Savior now? But it shows us a result, the result that he wants to have. It said the world is going after him. Our praise, our exaltation, our hosanna of God is going to cause the world to turn to God. We have got to have a more serious praise for the serious work he needs to do. I don't know if you can get that. This is a grave concern for me for any believer who only has a heart for God but not for the lost. If the God who so loved the world lives inside of you, don't you think you'd at least love your neighbor? There'd be an inkling of something. You would love someone somewhere because of him who's in you. Friends, Palm Sunday could be the importance of who comes to the Lord in the next week or two or three. We have spiritual significance this morning through the praise we've given Him and the exaltation we give Him. With every head bowed, consider for a moment what the Lord may be saying to you. Do you know the Lord? Do you need the Lord? If you don't know the Lord and you recognize you have a need of the Lord, I'm going to encourage you to come to the altar for just a moment. I'm going to encourage you to come and take some time with Him. Today could be your day of surrender, your, your moment of decision that you give your life to Jesus. Now, let me ask you this also. Do you realize the Lord has need of you? The Lord needs you. He wants you to be loosed this morning. He said, Greg, go loose my people so I can fulfill the old and accomplish the new. If that's you this morning, you know that you are needed of the Lord and you want to be useful to the Lord. You want to loose yourself and present yourself and say, Lord, fulfill what needs to be fulfilled in my life. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to the altar. I'm going to invite you now. Come to the altar. I want to be used of God. If you know, you sense this morning that your praise needs to go to another level, to a whole other dimension, that he's worthy of a higher praise from you and from I. If that's fitting to you, I invite you to come to the altar for just a moment. Just step out. You're loosed. name of Jesus. You're needed. You're important. He reigned for you. He's, he's your victory. He's your champion. He brings you victory. You are now triumphant. You're more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer. You're going to be the head and not the tail. You're going to be made whole, not incomplete. He's going to restore you, repair you, revive you. He's going to take care of the old and move into the new. God is for you, not against you. Come on, somebody. Say this with me. Greater is he in me 
than he or anything in this world. I am victorious, triumphant. I am an overcomer. Through the blood of Jesus, I have victory. I will praise him all day long, in the morning, in the evening, and in the afternoon. And by way, if he were to wake me up in the middle of the night, he'll find praise on my lips. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Come on and say it. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. I trust that you are encouraged and inspired by the word of God today. Once again, I want to say thank you for joining us on this podcast. It's very important that after you receive the Word of God to make sure it gets sealed in your heart. I'd like to do that with you. I'd like to pray with you that we could tuck it away in our hearts and that we let the Word of God have free course, move swiftly in us, and it would glorify God. You know, the Word of God is a seed. You can expect results out of it. You can expect fruit out of it. You can expect something to be produced. Again, I'm so thankful that you joined us. Now allow me just a moment to pray with you. Father God, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus, the Word of God himself. And I thank you for the Word that has been heard. I thank you for the Word that has been received. And Lord, now I ask that it gets covered up and it gets protected and locked and lodged in our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would water it. I pray that you would nurture it, that you would bring the light and revelation that it needs. And I pray that it produce good fruit in each and every heart that has received it today. I ask this in Jesus' name. I do this at the end of every service at the church. I want to do it with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord find great delight in you. And may you find great joy in him. May the Lord provide for you. May the Lord protect you. And may the Lord give you peace, peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.